Well, folks, that brings us to the end of Radio Blackout. I'm going to give you a quick um, review of what we just listened to. Uh, right now, we're listening to Music Abation by Neffets, Ghetto Tech DJ. Pretty, pretty awesome track right here. Um, before this, we listened to Cells. Got to give a big up, big, big shout out to Little Mac calling in. He was feeling that jam. I hope the rest of you listening out there were feeling it as well. Uh, that is from MF Doom's latest album, Born Like This. Uh, plenty of other great tracks on that album, too. MF Doom be spitting hot fire, you know. You know what it be. Uh, before that was Face Your Fate by Keith Trucker. Uh, that was the D-Win remix. Uh, before that was Drug-Related Stories by Jared Wilson. Out of Control by Intercity. Good Life, the Magic Wand mix by Intercity. Info Physic by Doppler Effect. And Sideswiped by Adult. So that does it for me. Up next is Living Writers with T. Hetzel. It's a pre-recorded show. Uh, the author featured this week is Anselm Brigade. I hope you enjoy it. Keep it locked to 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Hetzel, you've got living writers, and today on the program, so pleased to have Anselm Berrigan here. Welcome, Anselm. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, <laughs> nice of you to say. It's um, We're taping the show. It's the 2nd of April, 2010. Um, and Anselm, you've been in town um, doing readings, meeting with um, students of the, the Michigan MFA program, yeah. and also doing a reading in Detroit. Right. Um, so kind of a whirlwind couple of days for you. Here. Yeah, and, and, uh, and I actually was meeting with a lot of the students from the residential college uh, also, so undergrads and grads. and Ken Michalowski's class. Ken Michalowski's class. Hello, Ken. <laughs> Ken is fantastic. <laughs> he is. He is indeed. Um, Anselm, uh, maybe before we go further, I'll read your biography, because um, the book that I've got on the table here is Free Cell. Uh, this was uh, out with City, uh, City Lights Books in 2009, and it looks like you also, are these a sheaf of new poems as well that we can hear some of? And... Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple um, 
longer i mean i won't read them all but (laughs) we're gonna be here this is just part one folks i've got some unpublished newer stuff that i could read if there's time yeah oh great okay well we'll make time okay okay (laughs) keep me honest anselm here (laughs) all right um so from the back the biography in the back of the book by city lights books free cell Anselm Berrigan is a poet, identifies only as a poet, and works in service of that art, while happy for the existence of all the others. Free Cell is his fourth full-length book of poems. Over the course of a decade, he served as volunteer, office assistant, reading series organizer, workshop leader, and from 2003 to 2007, artistic director for the Poetry Project at St. Mark's Church in New York. He has taught composition and creative writing at a number of schools and independent literary organizations. He currently teaches at Pratt Institute and Wesleyan University and co-chairs writing at the Milton Avery Graduate School of the Arts, an interdisciplinary summer MFA program. Is all this still current, Anselm, Um, too? Is it sounding pretty good? (laughs) I don't want to mislead everyone. Well, I don't actually teach at Wesleyan. Uh, I, I was there as a visiting writer at the time, maybe at... I can't remember if I put that in or if City Lights put that in. I wondered if you, because a lot of people, you write, write the, their bios, and I liked the beginning of this. It sounded very much like I the, thought you wrote it. I wrote but. the beginning um, because I uh, got so sick of writing bios at one point, and I, I just I wanted to put something that was a little more to the point. And then a, a filmmaker friend of mine named Jeannie Liotta sent me a message saying, that's terrific. So then I had to do this for City Lights, and I came up with that. The Wesleyan Wesleyan was just a temporary job. All the oh. teaching jobs are fairly temporary. <laughs> Blown by the wind, aren't we? <laughs> More or less. Oh. <laughs> yeah. the, the bar the bar job is actually pretty steady. But. Uh, the, the what job? The, the job at Bard. Um, the Milton Avery School is is actually Bard College, but it's like a non. It's an it's essentially an experimental MFA program. There's no workshops. It's and the poets, painters, sculptors, musicians, filmmakers, uh, and um, uh, photographers uh, all kind of intermingle, and it's all one-on-one meetings. So if you're a poetry student, you're going to wind up talking to the faculty who are working artists in film and sound and things like that. So uh, I like going into that. That's great, actually. In a way, that's what I think I've always pictured, the Naropa, like the Insta, the Colorado. Yeah. um, uh, It's, well, Naropa is, but Naropa is all writing. And the other things oh, come in okay. on come in on the sides, but 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 at Bard everybody's on an equal footing, and um, yeah, no, it's it's an interesting program. It's a bunch of weirdos. It sounds it works. It sounds brilliant. <laughs> um, and so and then also just just um, briefly to note this because I feel like this these are things we'll 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 talk about. But with his brother Edmund Berrigan and Alice Notley your mother, he co-edited The Collected Poems of Ted Berrigan, which was published in 2005 by UC Press. Um, and then currently poetry editor for the Brooklyn Rail, a monthly arts and cultural newspaper. And you can check that out at brooklynrail.org. Um, Berrigan is married to poet Karen Weiser and the father of the recently born Sylvie Berrigan. <laughs> Hello, Karen and Sylvie, <laughs> if you're out there in Radioland. Hello. <laughs> Because um, I think you did. You come to Ann Arbor when the book came out. The your your father's book, the collected poems of Ted Berrigan. Uh, that you I, helped I did. Edit. I didn't come, but um, but my mother came, and, and there was a big event at the bookstore that I Shum think and is, Drum. Yeah, that's not around anymore. And she and Ken read a lot of the poems from the book. And my father taught uh, and lived in Ann Arbor. Taught here at the school for a year in 1969, I think. Also, oh, so, so before but, you were born. 
just before, before I was yeah. yeah a few years before I was born before I was even an idea um, but he has some beautiful poems about it that come out of living in Ann Arbor actually one called Ann Arbor Song which if I had a copy of I'd read but oh. Well, except maybe except for the parts I wouldn't be allowed to read. <laughs> I know this will get interesting, right? <laughs> you may hear a series of beeps and <laughs> no, it won't be too bad. It won't no, be too bad. <laughs> um, and and Anselm, this is when you said that uh, you, you've been traveling um, recently. Free Cell came out in two thousand nine, um, and this this is more this is a university visit, so not part of the yeah. the, the book tour. It's probably calmed down a, a little bit. Or um, has it? <laughs> well, to be honest, the there there wasn't the book tour has been more like going somewhere and then not going anywhere for a month and then going somewhere. It's not really much of a book tour. There isn't enough money on their part or my part for me to do a lot of things. But um, but what a great press to be oh, with! Oh yeah, but like, it's fabulous. Like part of history, yeah. really. And I went out to San Francisco and and did read in City Lights Bookstore, which was terrific, and then give a reading at Berkeley. And there'll be other things along the way, but it all gets kind of spread out, you know. And with a two-year-old daughter, I can't leave for very long anyway. So it sounds like it's for the best and. More or less. I mean, I like to get around and do the readings, but uh, but I have to take them when it's possible. To be on stage, as you were saying when we were off air f- right. for a moment. <laughs> to be on stage or, 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 or on the mic. So this is going to be a perfect hour. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> this is your hour, Anselm. <laughs> um, and so you, you actually, you were born in Chicago yeah. and then um, and raised in New York City. Right. And then you went to school in, in Buffalo yeah. University there and then headed to San Francisco. So so City Lights, was that part of your, your time when you were out west as well? So it was sort of the, the place you wanted to be? Um, um, y- you have a book out yeah. of it? Well, uh, well, it never occurred to me to have that a to have a, that a book opportunity would come actually. But at City Lights, um, at City Lights, you mean? Yeah, at City Lights. I, I, City Lights is, um, but as a as a site and then as a publisher, yeah, it's this um, hollowed space, and it's just a great bookstore, and they have a wonderful um, poetry room. But when I, I moved to San Francisco, because I knew I had just started writing in, in Buffalo, and but I, I didn't think it a good idea to go back to New York, because I sort of knew too many people there, and um, I needed to find out for myself if I really was going to be able to do this, to, 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 to write, to be a to be a poet, to be a good enough poet, to, to, to stay with it, to develop, to change, and all those kinds of things. So it was necessary to go to Buffalo to actually be by yourself and separated in a way because it was, well should it was we say because your mom Francisco for, for I guess just so people know Alice Notley your your mom and Ted Berrigan your your dad yeah. they're both like you know huge in the American scene of poet, poets um, right. and also then your your stepfather as well and your your family of poetry here yeah yeah it's an odd um, so odd, did, odd situation did you ever want to be an astronaut I thought for a little while in high school that maybe I wanted to be a marine biologist because I really was interested in sharks, but I found that um, the prospect of spending most of my life underwater not to be too appealing. And then when I was in college in Buffalo, I actually was in, was doing journalism, and I thought for a while I would I would be a journalist. But being a journal, working on the paper at Buffalo, which no, not as big as the school here, is it still a large school? Um, 
had a big paper. So I started writing campus news. Then I wound up doing music reviews, which I really liked. That led to writing stories and keeping a notebook. And then one day I broke a line. I was about 19. And when I broke a line, I, I, I realized that I was going to write poetry. And so it was a very organic process for my part. Had you had you um, knowingly resisted it until that time no, when no. you actually kind of came upon the break in the line? I hadn't resisted it at all. Uh, I just... My parents never put any pressure on, on, on my brother or I to, to, to engage or disengage from, from poetry. It was just what they did. It was, it was embedded in all of our, our, our um, daily lives, but it, it wasn't anything I had to think about in any particular way. So it just hadn't occurred to me. Um, but what, uh, the process of going through these different kinds of writing made me realize that what I was interested in was words and the sounds they made. I, I wasn't interested in sentences and plot so much. Uh, and so when I started, when I realized I could break a line instead of extending it and that there was all this possibility in there, um, that, that then I was taken. I actually got, remember specifically, I got this full body rush and buzz just from breaking a line. And then I thought to myself, oh no, I'm going to be one too. <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved to San Francisco when I finished at Buffalo because I knew San Francisco was a place you could go to be a poet. There were other writers. There was an understanding of what that might mean. And I figured that could there I could, on my own terms, flesh out my relationship with this art. And is that, and is that what happened, Anselm? Yeah, and like yeah, how... yeah. It, 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 it happened. I mean, I'm, I sort of can't believe that I planned something like that and it actually happened. But I got out there and after I got a job and after a few months I started to meet some interesting people, who some of whom are very still very close friends, many of whom are uh, poets. And, uh, and I lived there for two and a half years and really um, worked on writing every day and lived my life. And... Uh, um, yeah, it was terrific. And I would go pay uh, homage at City Lights from time to time. You know, and uh, Into the poetry room and, and just... Yeah, uh, and yeah. Try, try not to steal any books and things like that. I had a, I had a friend who was a very good book thief, but I, I resisted the urge. Well, true. Well, they have the, the pocket series. Yeah. That <laughs> seems... Right. The pocket series, which which you can pickpocket rather easily. Um, but, not uh, that we would do that, City Lights. No, yeah. no, no. Well, actually, my mother once, went, w when she got together with my father, uh, stole a book from City Lights. And my father, who was um, uh, uh, notorious for uh, stealing books in his youth, <laughs> t turned her and very disapprovingly said, we don't steal from our friends. <laughs> Holier than thou there. <laughs> a little bit, but I mean, I, he, he, was, he was accurate. <laughs> but I like how the, the line continued, not that we don't steal. <laughs> right, we don't yeah. steal from friends. You know, it might have been a little easier to lift books though in those days. Yeah, yeah, not so many cameras and um, sirens or so. Or <laughs> yeah. Walking. Well, you used to just be able to find like the little strip in the book, and if you took the little strip out, then you could walk. You could walk the book out of the store. I probably shouldn't be saying this all over the air, but <laughs> right. that, that was that was what would set off the machine. And so, if you if you found that, you could leave, and it would be no problem. Because you could even just pretend that you were really fanning out the book to get a full sense of it, and but what you could, yeah. and then shake, give it a little shake. If it's the kind of bookstore where they're used to you actually reading, uh, you know, then then you could do it. <laughs> Except, you know, we're already bemoaning the, the end of Shaman Drum, so I know, this is I know. all... No, yeah, it's... it's, uh, it's just, we, we kid. Yeah. We kid. <laughs> yeah, bookstores are crucial. But then you... So then you were able to have some sort of confidence as, like, your own person, your own poet, and you did choose to go back to New York City. Yeah. Well, I... Um, when I... I moved back to New York in 1996. I'd been in San Francisco for two and a half years. And at that point, I'd pretty much um, 
it, it had been about seven years since I'd really lived in, in New York. And also my mother and my stepfather, the British writer Douglas Oliver, um, had moved to Paris in 1992. So they, they actually weren't there. Um, and it meant that I, I mean, it would have been nice if they had been there, but it was a very different place at that point. And uh, it could be me. your place in a in a new way. I felt I felt like I could go there, and that I had a very clear sense of who I was, and 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 what kind of um, life I wanted, and what kind of trajectory I was on with my writing. I felt certain that I that it would be fine. And I actually how wanted. How did you have that certainty? Do you think, Anselm? Um, like because you were like twenty five now. In yeah, the yeah, I was well, I was twenty four when I when I moved there. I, I think I'd just been writing and I was in this, uh, I've found a really terrific community of people in San Francisco, some of whom were in school, some of whom were not, and um, various age ranges. uh, And we would get together at different people's places and and, um, talk about work, hang out, do things, get to know each other, have odd experiences. um, And and, Like what? Odd experiences? Oh, like... um, going to Golden Gate Park and breaking into the Arboretum late at night and taking, um, putting odd things in our mouths and um, having all-night experiences and then driving down to the beach and staring at things and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And the sound of the waves. Yeah, going, listening to music, going to see bands, um, driving around, visiting older writers who lived in this. There are a lot of people scattered around the Bay Area. You did that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we would go out and find, like Barb, the poet Barbara Guest, at the end, towards the end of her life, moved to Berkeley. We went and we went to go and visit her with a couple of people. Uh, the poet Philip Whalen was still alive and living there. He was out at the Zen Center, just over the bridge. Um, and uh, he, we, we'd go and, and take him to lunch and get him to talk to us and, and that, that kind of thing. So, but so it was just constant conversation and support and response to the work. And it was a very smart but also sensitive and tough-minded group of people and kind of working and go, being surrounded by them and being supported by them for a few years really helped encourage me to feel like I knew what I was doing and, um, and to listen to them talk. And, then, and they also were getting interesting educations in different ways, some of them uh, at different schools. So I got to, you know, they'd give me ideas of things to read, things to try. It was very, very um, back and forth. And what a critical moment in your in your life or in how you were developing. And like you said, like just yeah. kind of deciding what you could believe in as your, as yourself. Yeah. And, and I had some things to offer also. Um, and, oh, I'm sure. Well, I, I wasn't, uh, I, I knew a lot of East coast writers that, that weren't circulating so much who were under the radar poets like John Godfrey at that point, even, even my, my father was, a lot of his work was out of print at that point. And I had an understanding of how humor could be put up onto the surface of, of a work um, that I, I got from certain writers I was very interested in. And I wasn't afraid to use a talking voice or to talk about my own experiences in particular ways, whereas some of the writers I was meeting were really working out, being kind of put through the postmodern theory ringer and trying to figure out how to have something like a self inside their own writing. You know, and the, it's kind of question that might sound cuckoo to others, but but if you're inside that process, you, you, you get made to think about it. Um, so... And I had a different kind of angle on some of these things, uh, and um, and it was uh, it was it was useful, you know. And and uh, and, and um, we gave a lot to each other, I think. And maybe we can hear more about what your angle is when we come back okay. after the short break, if that sounds sure good. Thing. Okay, Anselm Berrigan is here today on Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Brian Delaney in the engineering chair. We'll be back. Oh, 
Good Lord, good Lord, send me an angel down. Can't spy you no angel, but I'll swell send your teeth and brown. That new, well-loving, mama red must be best. These Georgia women just won't let Mr. Samuel rest. There was a crowd down on the corner, wondered who could it be. It won't a thing but the women trying to get to me. I even went down to the Delphone with my suitcase in my hand. Crowd of women run crying, Mr. Samuel, won't you be my man? My mama, she told me when I was a boy playing mumble peg. Don't drink no black cow's milk, don't you eat no black hen's eggs. Black man, give your dollar, mama. He won't think it's nothing strange. Yellow man will give you a dollar, but he'll want back 95 cents change. You may call me a cheater. Pretty boy, I'll real treat you. But if you lie me a chance, I'll gnaw your backbone half in two. I took a trip out on the ocean, was the sound of the deep blue sea. I found a crab with a swim, trying to do the shimmy sheep. I want to tell you something, mama. See, mighty doggone strange. You done mess around, gal, and made me break my yo-yo string. Honey, I ain't gonna be your old white ox no more. You don't mess around, baby, and let your doggone ox get full. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Anselm Berrigan is here. Um, thanks again for coming. It's great to sure thing. Great to see you here in the studio. <laughs> um, and this was uh, uh, Blind Willie McBride. Um, McTell. Oh, McTell. <laughs> McBride. <laughs> Where am I getting the... the there was a, a, a baseball player named Bake McBride. Um, <laughs> but I, that's probably not who you were thinking I don't of. think that... <laughs> yeah, that's who I'm confusing him with. I have a hard enough keep track keeping track of the ones that are still um, batting. But anyway, enough about my baseball <laughs> deficiencies. <laughs> um, Anselm, what um, could you, I know it's probably next to impossible because when we took the break, you were saying there were things that you already felt that you knew somehow about yeah. your, your voice as a poet or just yourself being the voice on the page and right. being okay with that. Right. Um, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, um, actually, um, well, this interesting thing happened to me when, when uh, it occurred to me one night when I was had to move to New York, and so this is several years after the period we're talking about, and I realized that my you know my father died when I was just about eleven, and I didn't start writing poems until I was nineteen, but I did start reading his poems maybe when I was fifteen, sixteen. I just started looking through them, and I was really looking for information about him. You know, maybe to occasionally see if he ever mentioned me, you know, that kind of thing. Which, because he, he did, because he, he put everything that was going on in his life into his poems. Um, and um, so I read enough of the work, and I did go to some readings um, that my 
parents gave, that my stepfather gave, that even my brother gave, because he started writing when he was actually quite young, uh, and, and a few other people. And I, I realized that when I started writing poems myself, I did know how to do some things that I probably shouldn't have known how to do, um, in, in the sense that if I had started in another from another place, it wouldn't... I would have needed some other kind of permission to be funny in a poem, or, or, or to use the whole page as a as a field to lay the to, to lay the poem out, to spread it out, to use space, to have a visual component to to, to the uh, poem, and not just have it be uh, kind of tied to the left margin. And these are things that my mother did. These are things that my father did. And just by reading their poems, not to be influenced by them and not because I was writing I think I just absorbed what that was my sense of what you could do in a poem and it had just never occurred to me that I was actually being secretly influenced by my father even though um, even though I, uh, I had no uh, conscious sense of it and so I think some of it was that and um, but I also I had read um, I had taken a, a class when I got to Buffalo um, that where Walt Whitman was was taught and and Emily Dickinson was taught and uh, and I actually I was really interested I felt really compelled by Whitman's poetry because it's so open and expansive and it seemed possible but then I really liked Emily Dickinson's work which on the one hand seemed is is very different uh, formally but it's I felt like the Dickinson poems were moving the way my mind seemed to me to move and that it, that it was very close to my sense of my own consciousness and, and developing a, 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 an idea of how one's consciousness works or might work or might seem to be working in an art form is at the heart of my writing uh, and um, so so then I was given these two possible paths and one was very external and it was Whitman and the other was very internal but no less attached to experience and in that and that was Dickinson and, and so that was quite interesting also um, and, and and useful and I was reading them a little before I started writing so that was helpful too yeah it seems like they must have been the ones that maybe even subconsciously gave you that final push when you were doing your journalism your your i think frank o'hara gave me the gave me the gave me the Did he? The, the push because um yeah why actually you know writing music reviews and describing what it was like to listen to all these different bands to the things that are to to, to get a chance to talk about um the 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 rap and the reggae and the punk rock and all the stuff that I was really really interested in especially at that time and realizing that that there was a creative process to to talking about what it was like to listen to hear what the songs are doing how they're made you know to cut past the kind of PR package and and really deal in the music and I don't know how often I was actually able to do that but um, that was able to bend me towards the idea that I could write my own stuff you know and, and that was quite helpful also and music played a big impact on my writing actually like I, I would, I would rip lines off from pavement songs when I started writing too, because I liked their lyrics and things like that. As like a, a way to um, to get started, like putting it up there and then breaking it into p, or just like incorporating it into the stream. Like if you were doing a Whitman thing, where you yeah, just had it in, maybe it, a little more like that. that. Or, or say you have uh, you have a you have a uh, a ten line poem, and uh, and if you work and you use some collage methods, which I do and was doing, um, the lines can be. Um, a little disjunctive, a little, seem a little fractured, or, or it's like heavy on the juxtaposition. But maybe, maybe you have ten <laughs> lines and line six doesn't work, so you take it out and you put the pavement line in and you see if it works. And occasionally it works. Yeah. <laughs> and then they call you up and they're like, "Where are royalties?" <laughs> you know, 
they don't do that for, to poets yet, right? I, I, I try to I, I try to rip off people who I don't think would be bothered by it if they noticed, you know. And it's not you don't take too much material anyway. I, I have in in the Tahoe Sleep Home because I was writing that longer poem, which is also in Free Cell, right after my baby, my daughter was born, and I was. It's called To Hell with Sleep because I was hardly sleeping. I had this like tightly constricted time periods in which I could write. I'd have an hour here, a half hour there, and I'd have to just force the issue and make the writing come, make it fast, be as uninhibited as possible. And if there was music on in the room, and I was often reading writing in a cafe or in a bar or someplace, sometimes that would get in there. So in that, in the In To Hell with Sleep, there's. Felicuti is in there, the cars are in there, Prince is in there, <laughs> Pixies are in there, weird combination of stuff in there, you know. The only person who might be a little bothered by it, I suppose, would be uh, uh, Rick Ocasek from The Cars. I knew I you were going to say lines, him. But I actually don't think he'd mind either. <laughs> Which two lines is it, Anselm? Which ones? Um, oh, no, because now we're really no, rubbing no, no, it no, in, no. right? It's, it's good. It's uh, the line, it's from one of their early songs. What is it? Just What I Needed. The lines, I don't care where you've been as long as it was deep. Oh yeah, which is a totally ridiculous line, but it's so uh, uh, completely it, fabulous. So it's I just so meaningful it when he says it. Yeah. Well, I actually think when you take it out of the song, it, it becomes this weirdly abstract line, and and um, you know, because he's he's saying the where doesn't matter as long as the where was deep, which you know on the surface makes no sense, but actually one can have a feeling from that. So it, uh, you know, and I was writing out of a state of delirium and joy and fear and having this new life that I was co-responsible for and so a line like that just fit you know and you were able to actually even make use of these times then like these pieces of time that you had like you didn't let that yeah. go at all so it was it was important to keep the poems there on a daily basis for you or um i don't know that i was writing every day i was getting i was writing um I think I was writing a couple, few times a week. It, it would, it would, there, there would be, a, there would be a week where I could maybe write four or five days, and then there'd be a week where, where I couldn't write or I could only write for a, 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 a day or something. Um, but what I did was just, I, I didn't, and I didn't have the time to type any of it up. So I just kept the notebook and I'd open it up, find the place where I stopped the last time, and then I was, and I was using this very tight stanza unit that I just kind of came into. And um, and I just went with it, you know. And I just tried to think as little as possible, and then just go. And when you say that, like that tight stanza unit, what um, uh, where is there, it? Um, is it here? Is it in Free Cell? Yeah, it's um, the the in the, the the longer poem in sections in the back. It's um, it's it's a seven seven line stanza, and then each section has um, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, eight stanzas, and then they're nine. They're either nine or eleven pieces altogether. And how did that? So was that something that happened on? Because um, because we're looking in in Anselm's book Free Cell now, um, to hell with sleep. Um, and then there's these these pieces. Uh, um, Leave a pretty cop go forth is the first um, one. Did so was that the one that sort of set the? Yeah. In in this case, in this case, it's um. It's the uh, it's the first one I wrote. They're in the order that I wrote them. I wrote two other two other sections. There are nine sections. I wrote eleven altogether, and the the, the last two I actually didn't. I decided not to keep w- with the poem, a- and partially because what uh, what this thing happened where I realized that um, I started to get more sleep actually. Like <laughs> like like our daughter started to sleep through the night, and and so when I sat down to write, the um, I didn't have the same kind of tension. So I wrote, I'd written these two other sections following the form, and I realized that 
it was actually about the experience that I was having uh, as much as or more so than the form. And the form was like a vehicle I was riding. But then once the sleep started to come in and um, and the, the pace of everything slowed down a little bit, then the, the feeling in the poems was different. So right. I it, took three lines from one of those discarded poems, dropped it in a place where I didn't like what was there, and otherwise I just dismissed the, the two poems. Took out the pavement line and then put the other line. Actually, I, I, I actually, what I took out was a line about, um, was it was it was a, uh, a a play on something Hillary Clinton said during the presidential, when she was still running for president and campaigning against Obama. Oh, really? Yeah, there was one day where she was, where she said, she was trying to figure out how to compete with with Obama's rhetoric and, and his popularity and his, his charisma. His, his, his charisma, well, yeah. and and he, she said, "You campaign in poetry, but you govern in prose," which, which <laughs> on its on you know it, it didn't and it didn't work for her to say that actually because um, because it it, it was. Uh, um, it was actually, I mean, it was a misunderstanding of poetry and prose anyway on her part. It was, it was just, a, it was a sort of a bad metaphor, but, but right. I just thought, oh yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> and, 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 but I, what I love about that, cause I actually, I do remember her saying that too, Anselm, but that, that she even said that, like, like in an attempt to like sling some sort of mud, that was like what the mud consisted of. Yeah. Seemed like at least a pleasant departure from I don't know. Well it, it reinforced a sense of it I think unconsciously what she was doing was reinforcing a sense of prose as monolithic and tipping tipping off what her what her uh, governance style might be. And although I actually think she <laughs> she might might would would make a very good president. Yes. Um uh you know it it was a um it was a rhetorical slip up on her on her part. Mm-hmm. I mean I don't think too many people cared, but if you're a poet you can notice something like that. <laughs> you know, the surface is poetry and the uh the bureaucracy is prose or something like that. Yeah, the anyway, surf yeah. It, it raised uh, possibilities, so I I, I, th- I uh, dropped it in there somewhere. Although I'd have to it'll take me a second to find it. Um oh here it is. I, I write, I'm glad for waste, its ascension, its emotional arc into the prose of governance. So I, I didn't, I used prose of governance as my spin of, of, you, of you govern in prose, but I was, um, I was comparing it. I say I'm glad for waste. I'm, I basically was comparing in my mind what she was saying to changing my daughter's diaper when she was about three weeks old. You know, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Lots of layers. <laughs> yes. Uh, ne- ne- Wordplay. <laughs> necessity of waste. Yes. Everybody, the famous children's book. Um, well, why don't we take a short break, and then when we come back, will you will sure. you read us? Yeah, that, I'd be happy to. that would be great. Um, you're listening to Living Writers today on the program. Anselm Berrigan is here. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back.
Hello, Spring. You've got WCBN FM Ann Arbor Living Writers. Um, and today, Anselm Berrigan is here uh, with us in the studio. Um, Anselm, I wanted to say that I love that part where you list everything that you did at St. Mark's Church um, with the poetry project, where you were, you start off as the volunteer, the office assistant, the, right. and then you you actually then you become the director. What what was that experience? Because a huge chunk of your life was yeah. there at that place. Um, well. The Poetry Project at St. Mark's Church has been around for since 1966, and I, in the neighborhood I grew up in, it, it's in the neighborhood I grew up in, in the East Village, and, um, and my father was involved in it from its inception, though he never held a particular position there, but he read there often. He taught workshops there, too, and my mother did also. And I grew up going to some readings there, and in fact, memorials for my father and for my sister, who died when I was 15, were held at the church, so the church itself has a very significant place in my, um, my life. Uh, and when I moved back to New York, I started going to readings there, and, and there's, there are two or three readings a week throughout uh, most of the year, and the summer's off. So, so there's opportunities to do things, and I would hang around at the end of the readings and help stack the chairs and put them away, and that was what volunteering was. And when there was a big event, you know, they'd call out and ask for extra people to come help, and I would do that. And then when a job opened up in the office... I, I needed a job, so I applied for it. And I think that there was some sense on the part of the people who were working in the office that um, that I didn't have the um, willfully didn't have the discipline to come like and the, sit down and go to work. But the actually, time management skills. The... Well, there's the desire, I suppose. <laughs> um, but my uh, reputation may have preceded me in some way. I didn't understand. But um, but actually, uh, it was it was like it's a nonprofit. You know, it's an administrative job. Um, and when I became director, it was much more so. I was hosting readings on a weekly basis, but I was also doing the fundraising, the grant writing, the hiring, dealing with the church, dealing with the project's archive. So actually, it's very much like running a non, any, any kind of non-profit, uh, 501c3. You, you have to do everything. You're understaffed. Nobody's getting paid a whole lot. And it was eye-opening and, 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 and a good experience in a lot of ways. But after four years, actually, I signed on to the job. The guy who had, Ed Friedman, who had preceded me, had done it for 16 years. I did not want to work that long. I thought it was a job. Ed did a great job. He sort of saved the project at a, at a crucial point in the late 80s. But he, but he had done the job for a while, and I actually thought it was time for the, the job to maybe to begin to turn over a little bit more and let people come in and bring their different ideas uh, 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 and their different interests into play. Um, so I, I did, for, did it for four years, and, and I left. It was taxing, and it was, it was hard on my hard on me in a couple different ways uh, emotionally and in my terms of my constitution because you were I was sort of out too much but but I wouldn't trade it in it was a great experience and would you um yeah I think I know what you're alluding to there too but um with the the energy that and the the headspace about caring for this place and knowing that it's this thing that's one of it's uh I don't know. It's like it's a, like a, a, a stronghold for poetry or something. Yeah. Like, um, that takes like I would. It would seem like the same type of energy that would also be you'd pour into the making of your own work. Yeah, uh, I mean, the Have a Good One poems. A lot of those were most of those were written while I had that job, and and and, and there are some darker undertones here and there, and they 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 come out of kind of pouring, releasing some of that energy into the writing when I could write. Uh, uh, it comes comes out in those poems, and then even the use of the phrase "have a good one." I mean, it's kind of nuts to write a poem in which you say "have a good one" ninety six times. I mean, they're really it's really a long poem made of short poems, and I thought of them as short poems, and then it kind of developed into like a long scroll like work. 
Uh, but it was very much about the fact that you're in public and you're surrounded by strangers and then you're sur- and there are people you know. And, 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 and that's what it's like to live in a big city like New York. And then, then there was this other pu- public-private aspect going on at the place where I worked where I was introducing readers every week to an audience. Sometimes I knew everybody in the audience. Sometimes I didn't know anybody in the audience. Uh, and have a good one was like uh, 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 an anchor of commonality that I could use to go off into very strange and different places in the poems themselves. Because I realized if I wrote have a good one down on the page, I could basically say anything I wanted to underneath it. Because, you know, it's typically have a good one is something you say to a stranger at the end of conducting some kind of minor business transaction. uh, And then you go one way and she goes the other way. And so I thought, oh, have a good one. Okay, that gets me in the poem and then it gets me out of the poem. And it can be, it's like you said, it can serve for anything, because in a way it could be like genuine, but you don't have anything else to say sort of thing, or it could be snarky or, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so so it's, um, it's kind of, uh, when I'm giving a reading and I read a lot of them, then you get, it, it, it sort of falls, I fall into this rhythm and, uh, and then have a good one becomes like a refrain. And it's always... It's not so much about irony as it is about contrast. It's just the heavy-duty contrast of saying have a good one, however it may sound when I say it, if I put a little emphasis on one part of it or not, uh, and then going and then reading some poem, which is going in some other complete, completely other direction. Right. Yeah. That's true. Okay, could we hear a little bit of yeah, that then, yeah. Anselm? Uh, Does that sound... Sure, I'll, I'll read a little bit uh, from um, the beginning. Actually, I'll, read, yeah, I'll start. So some of these are quite short, and, and then some of them are a little longer. Have a good one. Not bellowing for mercy, not arming the donkeys. Have a good one. The compatibility of cynicism and conviction would unnerve my foundations were I not conjoined with friendship itself at its staggering wake. I looked up and saw business associates all around. I'd only risen too quickly before faces set back in, but the gestures in mind, the icing of all personal bureaucracies seemed done. References, references in the deep. Have a good one. I didn't come riding out of the womb, you know. Have a good one. You are what your record says you are. Have a good one. My mission tonight is to not get so drunk I can't properly MC. It's surprisingly easy because I'm thinking about experience. Have a good one. Fathom cost by merit of vainly racked advances to light takedowns missed. Keeping under-wrapped pace with market forces, multi-orbital yet self-revolving miscirculation of services inference. You will have more or less money at less value in the near future. Ideas? Have a good one. Choose your own adventure lacked possibility. (laughs) Try coming home to your wildlife books sold off by adult creep types after enduring Boulder's second grade. You're hopelessly out of touch with the culture you use by looking at. You can be culture, but not accused of it. Dream giant cockroach in the wall dreams. More often pull endless string from the mouth. Have a good one. History pops. Noble usury. Redemption. Dusting off the rubble for an unrated peak. Cushy, etc. Resistance, etc. Existence threatened. Indie section on demand. Street selling a future option. Handing out poems like the free sell guy. That 300 unconsciously reflected a culture losing its mind is what I liked about it. So, and that, that's, that's, you know, and it, and it goes on for another 40 pages or so of that. Actually, it, it's, it's, I say 40 pages. The poem's longer in the City Lights version than I 
than than that. But but I I still think of it on the letter page that I developed it as. So it was a forty six poem page forty six page poem that that in because of in the, the use of space was so different. Or y- yeah, because um and and because the because I think of everything in terms of a letter size eight and a half by eleven page and so then to put it into this little or five by eight city lights book everything had to be shrunk down and because the poem is sort of visually is just spread out all over the place uh it, it was a lot of work for the design people they, they did a great job it's funny that you stopped where you where you did anselm with the um uh when because that that next line when you said give uh, it if it's is what I liked about it the after three hundred and um and then non identification has its rewards for some reason that line made me think that that equaled have a good one right like it was just like <laughs> right the belly of the beast summed up in that one line uh, I like that. <laughs> yeah no that's great I I wouldn't have ever thought about that but 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 that's actually the kind of thing that that I hope happens without knowing exactly what it is. I, I was talking with somebody the other day in Ken's class, and they asked about the idea of um, readership and what you want to convey and communicate. And I, I thought about it for a second. I said, you know, I do the work in order to create an experience for the reader, but I don't want to dictate that experience to the reader. And I don't want the reader to hold any kind of authority over me. And I'm going to say strange things, and I want to say strange things. So um, w- where I care for the reader is when I'm looking at it and and thinking, okay, they'll get something out of experiencing this piece, or this piece, or this piece, and but the experience is theirs, you know. And um, so that that's why I, I I trust when I go into very into places where what's happening literally on the surface in the poem might 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 seem very odd or off or obscure. Uh, I'm trusting that the sound is working. I'm trusting that that the feeling is there. That 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 that, 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 that the, the other things I'm interested in that go into making any kind of work of art. Um, will be apparent on some level if somebody sticks with it. Yeah, know. it's not as if then the f- the floor will drop out from underneath no, the, that person. No, I'm not trying to tell stories, and I'm not trying to be smarter than anybody. And and when you say, I love the part where you said where I care, like where I think I care about the reader, it comes out because in a in a sense, when you're you're sitting, you've got your notebook, and you're you're writing with the time that you have, and so it seems like that's like this, that's not maybe when you're necessarily aware of the 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 reader then that no, would come later yeah. with the revision of when you're tending the the lines yeah or the, when i'm just trying to trying to figure out you know what 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 um yeah what what, what what's going to work and what isn't where 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 am i um slagging off or, or indulging something that uh, shouldn't be indulged or you know th- things that 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 without a specific example um, may sound general, but but you know you you know when you're looking at the stuff what's working and what isn't, and you have a I have a standard, and the work has to work out loud, and it has to work on the page, and it has to be interesting uh, at a certain level, and that's when I know I can go with it. And how? Thank you for saying that. Actually, so so concisely. Um, how do you? When is it? Are you ever not comfortable with um, not knowing like some meaning of the poem? I try to write from a place where I am thinking as little as possible when I write. And it's partially because I'm, I'm, well, I want to get to some place that isn't known to me. I don't want to begin with something specific in mind to say. If I already know what it is I have to say, then I don't think that I need to be writing at that point. Uh, and I usually am trying to get into matters of feeling and how uh, I'm sensing consciousness work for my part and also looking at the world looking at the country looking at the state looking at the city like and looking at the way language is being used in all of these different situations by all these different people and then i'm interested in the sounds that words make so 
all of that is sort of available to me and everything that's ever happened to me is available to me but when I start to write I want my mind to be as blank as the page I'm looking at and it's so that I can be surprised so that I can get to things I wouldn't otherwise expect to get to and with revision though when then you see what you you have there and there are some of the things that you can see like yeah. the or feel like the surprises are there for you yeah. as well um well, I like working in long forms, which is what I've been doing for the last four or five years, because it's a way of letting everything in. And at this point in my life, in the writing, I'm interested in letting everything in as much as I can. Um, the poet John Wieners was once asked in an interview how he how he begins to write, and he said, I think of the most embarrassing thing I can. And that's always stuck with me as a great way to um, to deal in poetry, because you have to be unafraid of being embarrassed in order to be uh, uninhibited, actually, you know. And so, uh, so I, 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 I'm getting better and better, I think, at embarrassing myself. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a short break um, with Anselm Bear again here today on Living Writers and WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back, maybe to embarrass ourselves more. Bye. <laughs> Welcome back. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor today. Anselm Berrigan is here. Um, so pleased to have you. Thanks again for doing the program, oh, It's Anselm. my pleasure. Um, and so uh, I, when, you're, when you're going from that point of um, thinking about things like what would embarrass you and then so that you're fearless, basically, and you're, you're writing like all, um, is, is there ever a moment that I don't know, that deserts you, and oh, it's yeah. just something other that you're too ob- obsessed with or concerned with to... Well, I, I mean, the thing that happens is, it's sort of, I'm somewhat describing an ideal state, or, 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 or the state where, at, which, at which I like to begin, and it's to begin kind of blank, uh, and, and I've had specific experiences that led me to to think that this is this is a way to work um but once you get going then you're going and um material is coming whether you're grabbing it from the outside or you're generating it from your 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 head uh uh, and um your imagination say and uh and then all all the all the feelings all the dread all the weirdness that that's all that all pours back in and it's there and then you're still you know the thing is when you're writing 
every single word and every sound for my part and every word is part of the system of choices that you're making and you can easily overthink it so what I'm trying to do is not overthink that particular situation sometimes I might have a routine which is about working systematically um, I, I, I wrote a, I wrote over the course of three and a half months at one point a couple years ago ten sentences a night and I wound up with a list of a thousand disconnected sentences because I was trying to find something out about how to write a sentence and I got a work out of it and in that case I'd sit down and I knew what I was doing specifically I didn't know what I was going to write particularly but I I knew that I was working with this that the sentence was the unit and um, and and it was, it was this very basic kind of form um, but but then more recently I've been trying to do a lot of writing and um, not type it up for a long time and to just kind of to let it fly partially because that process I just described was so systematic I wanted to do something looser and, and the most recent poem of mine that I've just about finished is comes out of that actually can we hear it then? yeah um, this is it's called notes from irrelevance and um, I, I'm not going to say too much about it. I'll just read. This is from about five or six pages in. You, did, you don't need to know anything. <laughs> That's uh, in, in a way. Um, let me see here. Here, I, actually, I'll start from down here. Okay. Shouldn't the distant voicing of wisdom arrive with dour passivity at this point to instigate the lab rats into gazing at their withheld gazes? She's got fried looks. I've got a to-do list begging for a million drinks. The Tartar and the Venetian contend in a stupor of disquiet above the bitched-out illusion in which, along with a green slim vase, I am constantly hiding my torso out in front of my bloodshot field of vision. Should be carried out of this overpriced vessel and flung with innocuous fervor at noises wrecked bounty. Sketch of a neglected cinema. Who needs be anyway re-shot but the local tableau of desperate vanguards and their unspoken armies of flight? Cruising. When? Those blue cats, told to never hear a word, the dish awakens. I am not inferno. No, no matter how aptly uncharacterized by stranger and estranged alike, as my brooding is bent towards seeing, forcing an issue out of perceptual marginalia, my life, or, more succinctly, my humor. By now I am forced to take this surface seriously. Skin. Minor deterioration. I garble the rhetorical aspects of sensibility or silence them altogether as occasion implicitly demands to give my child a chance to unfix all she's told. I may not be doing that. Total retreat seems inevitable for a parsec. Elegance was a factor at one point. Havoc in black tights firing plasma circles at your standard invasion. I've not met an alien, or at least every being I've encountered has been recognizable on some level. Who doesn't, for instance, take their aura of citizenry for a stroll in some granite forest? Some activating an emphasis on arbitrary, mind you, which of course we don't deal in here, unless by merit of reflection, i.e., I know I'm in the bacon. I don't have to have it shown back to me. I want to eat and be eaten. There's no particular mystery in that sense. The generic, rambling, passé mysteries of space, time, friendship, filthy rumination, and little curvy bends in the air when the funereal arrangements are being made in two broken languages, and you haven't slept because you're heavier than sleep for extended lack of it. That's what I'm eliminating thought to handle blank is blank is blank is blank. And it goes on like that for a little, another 40 pages. <laughs> <laughs> is blank, is blank, is blank. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> blank 5,000 times. <laughs> no, thank you. That was, that was great. Yeah, that... So, I, and I loved how when... 
because you were going into the poem, not at the very beginning, as you told us. Yeah. And so there was this moment where you almost like your your body, you physically like did very minor bounces sort of like to get the almost the breath of the rhythm of it before you began, like yeah. as if you were it, it, it's, a running um, jump. Well, the way that it's it, it's arranged on the page, it's actually it's short lines and it's column like um and the the lines are actually on the uh, left margin but the um the thoughts and sentence like thoughts themselves are are typically very long so i have to you when i'm reading it i get locked into a rhythm pretty quickly um because the short line makes your eye turn and turn and turn constantly to handle the breaks but then you have to also be able to see where one thought stops and another one begins so um and and kind of i I, I, this one i can get into bodily in a different way i'm also getting to know it because it's very recent so there's that process too and so i'm trying to i'm getting into it but i'm also trying to find my way into it to get in sync with it Um, so still with the sound in that way yeah with, with with the sound and and also um, coming to grips with some of the things that are being said because it's actually it's a heavily it's a little more self analytical poem than the things I've been doing uh, uh, previously and um, it's 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 the eye is um, at the center of the poem and and um, uh, as I said I was writing uh, I was trying to write as freely as possible with, with without um, putting too much into it and to get to places that that I felt like I hadn't been able to get at before so which made the writing feel kind of um terrible when it was happening but then when i started to type it up i realized you know what this might actually be working and uh, oddly enough i was reading a lot of prose alongside the writing experience and i didn't think that i was particularly i wasn't reading the prose to be influenced by it or to use it as a model or anything like that but i actually think i now can sense some of the creeping some of the prose rhythms of the novels i was reading creeping into um, this work a little bit, and I mean naturally so. Anything I'm listening to, or reading, or seeing, or people I'm talking to, they're going to have some effect or input on whatever the writing is, whatever writing I'm doing at that point. I think Anselm, yeah, exactly. I think I think also it's interesting that you said that these lines, even though they're they're broken, uh, they're uh, in this thin column. Uh, they are long lines, and so when did you make? that decision because these were in the notebooks for a long time yeah. and when you first were writing them out were were they existing in those long lines to begin with were you because because actually each of the lines it was as a listener it was hard to hear the definite breaks which was part of the pleasure yeah. of it, that each of them were interlinked really yeah. the, the the breaks the breaks are are the breaks are there uh, in this case the breaks are on the the line breaks are for the reading on the page and also to my sense of a very short line in an ongoing poem like this is that it, it's it's fast. Moment. It's about tempo and momentum and velocity, and you can regulate it and it can slow down. But um, I, I, the lo- the short line lets the um, the speed at which uh, the thing that the, the speed at which the mind is racing in the poem, um, in a sort of attempt to say as much as possible. Um, it lets that speed sort of be there, or at least be available there. But actually, I, I wrote it all in a in a sketchbook that isn't very big. And so when I went to type it up, I there was a question of how to to do that. Um, that is, I, I wasn't sure that I had a 
it wasn't written with any kind of form in mind, but I actually I typed it up and used the end of the page as the place where I would t- type up the breaks. And then what I found is that I've adjusted them slightly here and there, but it actually gave me the basic length um, in, in most cases. That the uh, the the so the the poem on the page um, lengthwise per line is very close to how it was written, actually. So it's 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 edited. Uh, it's tweaked on the edges here and there, but it's actually um, it's it's as close to as is from the from writing to typing as anything I've done in a long time. And it's interesting too that you you wanted to say like you you're telling us that it's it's um, the the margin is left justified because in free cell, um, although like our listeners can't see it, it's sort of um, shifting on the page like a, a winding river, yeah, or or so, and. Yeah. Um, which is so interesting to hear that you said that on, in your own pages that it's it's actually the real estate is much different too. Yeah. Is it, um, well, they have a good one. Poems are, 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 are were spread out when I was writing them. Also, actually, um, and 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 typically, sometimes, sometimes I'll do. It depends on what the feeling inside the poem is as I sense it, and the, if I want. There were a lot of poems I wrote after um, September 11th. I, you know, I grew up in New York, as we talked about, and and I was living there when that happened. And a lot of the poems that I wrote after that experience, when I published them, I used very jagged, sharp, snaking margins, different indentations, because I was frazzled and ups- and 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 it was a very difficult time, and it was upsetting, and there was a lot of anger and and in confusion, and suddenly we were going to war on top of everything else. And um, and I the poems I needed the poems to formally reflect somehow that aspect of consciousness, mine and the cities and the the, the countries on a certain level. Um, nothing so, smooth about it. There could yeah, not no, be no, a, not, anything. No, not at all. Not a at clean all. line. Yeah. No, there, I wanted. I wanted. It's all in this book. Some notes in my programming, and it's a messy book, and it's supposed to be messy. And that's the with surface is messy. Letter machine editions, is it? Did they, or is no, that from with, Edge Books? That's with Edge Books okay. also. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I have a strong, I have a strong connection to all the books, but I have a particularly strong connection to that one because of because all this difficulty went into it, and and because I think it's harder to read than any of the others. But it also, I feel like I got something right about that time period. And if I had to go be put back in that time period, you know, nothing felt right. You know. Thank you, Anselm, for being here today. Um, 